This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 165 of Healthy Critters Radio on the Horse Radio Network. Healthy Critters Radio is brought to you by Biostar US. You can find them online at biostarus.com. On today's show, we sit down with Jennifer Ziegler of the Wilderness Maven Herbal Apothecary. In Critter Nutrition, we focus on the benefits of charcoal. And in Coffee Clash, we ask, what are the attributes of a perfect barrier? Join us. I'm Coach Jen, and Patty's absent without permission. Yes, AWOL. <laughs> AWOL. We get together for all you newbies out there. The Healthy Critters Gang gets together twice a month, and we chat about all things healthy and critter. And it's all sorts of critters, and it's all sorts of different ways to interpret healthy. For example, charcoal. I thought that's something you needed a barbecue. Apparently not. <laughs> Yeah, so we do that twice a month, and Patty's usually here. Patty's a dressage yeah. trainer and rider, and she hands out with Tig- hangs out with Tigger and provides the dry sense of humor <laughs> yes. for, versus, versus Tigger, who provides the sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> and you are you are I also give that moniker to you. Oh, okay, you are also the mad the mad scientists behind BioStar US, thus the health part with the charcoal. I can't wait to hear about that. But we're uh, we're going to have a guest on. But before we get started, we always have a little chat to catch up with each other because we don't talk to each other between shows. Because <laughs> we, we save it all up. And uh, I thought, yeah, so what are we going to talk about? We were going to talk about your road trip. You're on the road again. <gasps> oh, yeah. That wrote the Horse Radio Network Road Trip 2.0. <laughs> Yes. Last year, we hopped in our, our towable RV and drove across the country, north to south, for three and a half weeks, visiting vis- visiting listeners, having get-togethers, doing fun stuff. And that was so much fun that this year we decided to do an abbreviated version, and we hopped into our little tiny living quarters horse trailer. Little tiny because the living quarters is only seven feet. So it's really a glorified tack room with a bed in it. And we went for two and a half weeks this time, up and down the country. This time we went from Florida, hometown, up into Mississippi, and then up to Norman, Oklahoma, where we celebrated our 3,000th episode of Horses in the Morning with Jamie, co-host. Had a great time there. Wow. Then we went south again down to Texas, where we hung out with world champion mounted shooter Tammy Sarantz, also a good friend and has co-hosted many shows with us. And I got to have my very first mounted shooting lesson. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it got cut short because the, the rain started to dump down. So I only got to do the how to use the revolver part of the lesson, which was probably the more important part for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But after I got done and and she just basically went over how the revolver works, how to shoot it properly and safely, the the basic safety protocol. Having had shooting lessons before with more modern firearms, that worked out pretty comfortably. And then I got to walk, I wasn't mounted yet, down a practice line and you shoot balloons in cowboy mounted shooting and you shoot balloons with a blank and the balloon pops just because the... um the shock wave that comes out of the end of the gun when the gunpowder goes off and that's what pops the balloon. There's no ammunition in them. So she showed me the technique and I got to walk up and down and we were only out of there for about a half an hour or so. And when we were done, all I could do was think about how am I going to manage to do this and afford to buy ammunition? Because obviously you, you can't really reuse it <laughs> to buy a lot of ammunition to do this, but boy, was it fun. <laughs> So that was kind of a highlight. Uh, let's see here. 
on our way out, we stopped by and visited longtime friend Michelle Barr and got to hang out. And we've been to Louisiana. This is our second trip to Louisiana. And one of the ways we judge all of our road trips, whether they're vacation or business, is whether or not they're a good food trip. Of course. Of course. And Louisiana, I'm sorry. Apologies to all you other states. Louisiana is the best food state. Just is. Wow. Hands down. It's just the best food state. So we stopped and visited her and ate a lot of really amazing food and got to see Dr. Jeff Tucker, our horse's dentist, while we were there. Just happened to be. He lives in Florida. Ah. We live in Florida. He lives in Florida. We went to Louisiana to see him. (laughs) He was taking care of some horses up there. So that was kind of cool. And then uh, up to up to Norman, Oklahoma, I got to ride my first Mustang, which oh, was wow! Fun. Yes, I got to ride the famous Dammit Zeus, which is one of Jamie Jennings' Mustangs. I got to ride him through the woods, and I Zeus is currently his job is to be a babysitter for the young horses and the off the track thoroughbreds that she gets in for training, and he's the babysitter when they go out for trail rides to help them feel more comfortable. So that was kind of fun. I got to ride Dammit Zeus. Yay me! And I and we camped there, and she has bunny rabbits. She has two bunny rabbits. They're bad bunny rabbit and good bunny rabbit. And every morning we would open our camper door, and there would be bad bunny rabbits sitting in front of the camper. That's adorable. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, don't step on the rabbit. It's terrible when you get out of the camper. Don't step on the rabbit. So that was kind of fun. And then the final leg of our trip was in Fort Worth, Dallas area because Glenn had a podcast conference to go to that called the podcast movement. It's a really huge podcasting conference that he went to for a couple of days and I got to sit around in the, in the camper in the rain reading books <laughs> poured the whole time. Of and, course. Of course. And then the second two days we were there, the, equestrian trade show was there it's the there are two different organizations oh yeah for retailers they both had their they both had their conferences at the same time in the same place yay i know they do that at king of prussia too well this is the one that used to be at king of prussia yeah but there 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 are two trade groups and they'll often go both the king of prussia right and this this year they were all in dallas so we got to go do that for a couple of days so we got to meet up with old friends we haven't seen in a couple of years because the trade shows has been canceled and we got to meet some new friends so that was a great time and glenn's been putting a lot of those interviews over on the horses in the morning feed so if you want to listen to any of those if you go up to the search bar on horses in the morning.com if you put in wesa w-e-s-a or ada A-E-T-A. Those shows usually come up, and we do interviews with those every time we go to the trade show, and they're a lot of fun. And then we made our way back home. It was nice to get home. It was a fun trip, but it was nice to get home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. That's right. And our ponies did not self-destruct. Yay. Yes, that's huge. Yes, they they came. We we got back, and they both looked at us with the uh, "Really, you're back? Who cares?" <laughs> face. Yeah, really? Don't you want to take another vacation? <laughs> Don't you want to take the? It's still hot. Go ahead. Go take another vacation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it it well, was quite, quite a trip. It, we don't have as quite as exciting a show as your road trip, but it's a pretty it's pretty close. I think so, this is going to be a really interesting conversation. I do too. Yeah, let's so bring let's her on. Go. Yeah, let's bring her on. And I am thrilled to have here with us today Jennifer Ziegler, who is the owner of the Wilderness Maven Herbal Apothecary. And I I found her site down, I don't know, one rabbit hole or another that I usually find myself in daily. And what struck me right from the get-go was that it, all these products were handcrafted. And that's, you know, a very traditional, I'll say, old-style way of um, presenting herbal elixirs and bath salts. And they, they were all done by hand. And they weren't in pills. And they weren't in capsules. And so I was instantly drawn to this website and I ordered a few products 
And I fell in love with everything that I tried. And my significant other, Peter, I gave him a digestive bitter that, that uh, Jen makes. And it has just changed his attitude and his GI tract processing in a really profound way. So I am so excited to have Jen here to talk about what she does because it, it's so unique and it's so important that we preserve the true herbal and plant traditions because the, it, it benefits the earth, it, it benefits the plants, it, and it benefits us and our animals. So welcome, Jen, to Healthy Critters. Thank you so much, Tigger. I am so excited to be here. Um, I wanted to to start with a question. You 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 started this company originally wild crafting, correct? Yes. So um, way back when, um, you know, I didn't have my degree, and well, I did. I didn't have my certification as an herbalist yet, um, but I just felt a desire and a hunger to know about how plants could help with some various things that I was personally dealing with, eczema, heartburn, headaches, things like that. So I started to just do a little bit of research and realized that there was so much growing in the Pacific Northwest, which is where I started and founded my company. Um, So initially, I would go and do these weekend excursions and I would wild harvest things like burdock root and yarrow and rose hips and elderberry, all kinds of things. And everything I made for the first two years that I had my business was, in fact, wild harvested, wild crafted. And in that process, you know, I started to learn about really mindful and sustainable wild harvesting, um, Mm -hmm. places where you need to be very intentional about where you're harvesting from, not just because you don't want to over harvest, uh, but also because since we're putting these things on our skin and inside of our bodies, it's really important that they be as clean as possible. So hiking 15 miles into the forest to go find something as far away from a road or, you know, buildings and (laughs) anything was, became a really important part of what I did. What, what, where was the transition for you when you decided that you needed to grow your own plants? That was, uh, yeah, it was a really big shift for me. So after a couple years of wild harvesting everything, I actually decided to enroll in a 120 credit hour program to become a certified herbalist. Um, fun fact, nobody licenses herbalists in America. I know. You can't get a license for it. Um, so, but you can get a certification, which is a pretty intensive term of study still. So after I got my certification, I really was opened up to this whole world of plants that I hadn't been exposed to before. And as I continued to make salves and tinctures and all kinds of different extracts and infusions, there was a lot that I wanted to target specifically, you know, um, different body systems and different symptoms and just various things that they used herbs that didn't really grow around me or they didn't grow prolifically enough that I could harvest them sustainably in the amount that I needed them to use Mm -hmm. in my tinctures and products. So it was then that I took a step back and said, okay, this is, this feels like a really good time to transition and, it was really exciting to have this idea of not only just hiking out into the forest to go and harvest bucketfuls of herbs, but to really see the entire process go from seed to soil to plant to harvest and then to bottle. And I just got completely absorbed in the farming 
side of things. And it's the most fulfilling thing for me to start thousands of seeds every year and then get them into the ground and watch them grow and nurture them and tend them and spend time with them in my garden, Mm -hmm. in my safe place, and then know exactly the journey that these plants have taken before they end up in a bottle in somebody's medicine cabinet. You know, I, um, I have been reading some of your journal articles, which are wonderful and inspiring, but there was one you were talking about that, you know, you're growing all this by yourself. It's not like you've got a people weeding with you and planting with you and harvesting with you. And when you were describing the weeding and, you know, with one person, it is, it's like incredibly difficult. (laughs) And as a gardener myself, my ex-husband used to refer to my garden as the Charles Darwin garden, <laughs> where only the strong would survive because it could <laughs> never keep up with all the weeds. Um, so I, I, and I appreciate, really, I've grown to appreciate the beauty and the weeds themselves. As long as they're not strangling my other plants, I recognize mm-hmm. they play a role. And it's so interesting the types of insects that they'll attract or detract. Um, so I'm 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 at peace with the weeds. Are you at peace with weeds? Uh, you know, at a certain point, you just really have to be. Otherwise, you'll drive yourself <laughs> mad. Um, <laughs> yeah, I have never had anybody really helping me with this. It is a one-woman show from growing the plants to harvesting to creating all of the formulas that I use. I do um, all of my own design for labels and website and social media and all of it. It's just me. And it is definitely my first priority to take care of the garden beyond getting on social media. I recognize social media is important for any small business nowadays, but I, you know, sometimes it's a bitter pill to swallow, but I, it just kind of goes to the wayside, especially during the summer months when the garden is just taking all of my time and energy and the weeding. Yeah. It never stops, but I love that you said you've come to recognize that it's a home for insects and the weeds do have benefits. And so many of the herbs that I use, are really considered weeds by other people. And I, I grow a whole row of dandelions so that I can harvest the root. <laughs> and I, it's in, it's in these really humble plants that you could so easily walk past and not think anything of that there is just such hidden power. And I've got respect for every plant and even the ones that I don't want growing in my garden that are definitely (laughs) there. um, You know, they bring in ladybugs who eat the aphids off of the nasturtiums and and off of the calendula. So that when I do harvest the calendula, I'm not trying to get rid of all these aphids myself. The ladybugs have done it for me. And you do, um, I mean, you're hand picking insects off your leaves you're not <laughs> yeah yeah any, yeah it's i walk around a jar of water Sorry. and dawn dishwater i have a jar a mason jar of dawn you know water and dawn dishwashing liquid and you know when i have to go after a, the colorado potato bug or um i just send them on a cruise in my <laughs> jar <laughs> yeah that's one way to do it it's really important for me since I know people are putting these on their body and in their body everybody has all kinds of different you know um, responses to allergens and some are unforeseen so I don't spray anything onto the plants I do amend the soil with a lot of natural material compost Mm -hmm. I use some copper and sulfur and calcium Um, I also do a lot of plants that will actually fix things like nitrogen back into the soil, which is really great for cover cropping at the end of the season. You just cover crop with something like clover and it fixes all that great nitrogen in there for the next year. 
And burying seaweed in the garden is actually one of my Mm -hmm. favorite things at the end of fall so that you get all those rich minerals in there for the next season. But yeah, as far as on the plants themselves, the aerial portions, I don't spray anything. So this is just a little fun side story. Uh, We found a tiny little baby bird. Um, It had been abandoned by its mother and it, I left it there for three days trying to see if the mom would come back. She didn't. So at some point I took it in and I started feeding it and we raised it and this little bird for just until a couple of weeks ago. So for the entire summer garden season would come out into the garden with me. He would just ride on my shoulder. We'd go out to the garden and I would harvest calendula, comfrey, uh, catnip, you know, whatever it was that I was harvesting. And I'd put it in a basket and this little bird would go through the whole basket and just eat the bugs off of the plants as I put it in the basket. So he did most of the work for me this summer. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it totally felt like a little snow white moment out there. Just having this wild bird land on my hands. And I would just say, have at it, dude, eat all these bugs. So I'm going to flip over to something that you offer as a product that is really unique and it's an oxymel. And the first time that I read it, it's a product called deep reserves oxymel. And I went, what the heck is an oxymel? And so I called a good friend of mine who's a, a homeopathic. And I said, here, here's this website. So she gets on the website. We're all, we're still on the phone, right? So she's on her computer, on the cell. I'm on my cell, on my computer. And I said, so what do you think deep reserves? She goes, oh, Oxymel. Oh, that's rare. You never see formulas like that these days. And I went, oh, well, then I have got to try this. <laughs> I mean, no idea really what it was until I did a little research and find out it actually stems from Roman times, honey and vinegar, correct? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yet miel is, or mel is the root of honey in, you know, old romance languages stemming from Latin. And yeah, you combine the honey with apple cider vinegar, both in their raw states, with which both properties for healing, digestion, antimicrobial properties. Uh, And then you um, extract herbs into them. And then you get just a powerhouse full of plant medicine. Oh, it's unbelievable. I I mean, I I can't imagine going a day without it. (laughs) I love that. And I love that you, that you use the, you know, the adaptogens. Um, cause they're, they're such powerful, wonderful plants. So, you know, for anyone who is looking for a, a support liquid for stress, um, anxiety, digestion, well-being, deep reserves, oxymel from the wilderness maven, five stars from me. Great stuff. Oh, Thank you. That particular formula, uh, it has the adaptogens in it, which can really help with stress and anxiety. Like you said, it also has a bunch of nervines in it and things that really help with your energy stores and your energy reserves, which is where it got its name from. But oat straw in particular is just one. And I always, there's, um, there's a line and this is going to call out my nerddom here, but there's a line in Lord of the Rings where Bilbo says like butter scraped over too much bread. And that's really how we can start to feel when we get super worn down and whether it's life or a really stressful season in life or just being overworked and underslept, we all have these moments where you just feel like you don't have the energy to keep going and a cup of coffee and a shot of caffeine isn't going to fix it. That's just a bandaid on the problem. So what something like oat straw does is it really helps build up your energy reserves from the inside and just replenish everything that you've lost so that you can keep going in a much more sustainable way. I did not know that about oat straw. That is very interesting. I always thought of it as a source of silica. 
Yeah, there's that too. Oat straw is many things. It's one of the things that I put in almost every tea blend that I make for myself. It's in everything that I take. <laughs> wow. So let's get to the teas because, uh, okay, so so Jen makes these oxymels. She, she makes some very interesting formulas for women, for menopause, for, I guess, you know, menstrual time for hot flashes uh, to better your love life. Um, And then we get into these, these wonderful teas and chocolates. Um, Tell me about the teas. Teas are one of my absolute favorite things to formulate and to blend I'm a big tea person. I probably drink 10 cups of tea a day. And what I love, oh, it's just so great. You know, just mix up a giant mason jar of it, throw it in a French press and keep a hot kettle on and just keep making it. So (laughs) I love formulating teas and um, I'm actually working on some tea making workshops to put together for other people to learn how to formulate a tea. But, you know, the very first thing that you want to think about is what do you want to target? Do you want a tea that's good for bedtime? Do you want a tea that can help with stress and anxiety? Do you want um, a tea that has really good immune support? So then it's about finding really water soluble herbs that you can put in there. If something is just fat soluble, it's not going to work very well in a tea infusion. Um, So it's finding things that you can easily extract in like a hot water infusion. And then you don't want it to taste bad. So it's really fun coming up with formulas where you're blending in really functional herbs and then you're mixing them with things that taste really good. And even those herbs that taste really good, like ginger or peppermint um, or rosebud, cardamom, things that cardamom, yeah, chamomile, you know, even those that we like for the flavor have really great benefits for different body systems as well. So tea blending is something that I just totally get a kick out of. And I, at some point I'm like, well, how many teas is too many teas? I just want to keep adding them. <laughs> <laughs> And how about the bath salts? Tell me about those. I'm really intrigued. I I, I love a good bath. Nobody loves oh. a good bath better than me. But and I always love. You know, I feel like maybe I lived in Egypt back at the time of Cleopatra because I'm always adding liquids and things and you know <laughs> the aromatics and the the skin softeners and. Uh, yeah, I'm really into baths. <laughs> well, a decadent bath is something that everybody should get on board with for sure. Yes. Um, but a bath can be so much more than just, you know, relaxing self-care. It, so bath salts specifically, you know, now we think of them as like, oh, at the end of the day, have a glass of wine and have a great bath and relax. But initially when people first started adding salt to their bath, it was to replenish mineral content in our bodies. And I use a blend of salts. So there's dendritic, there's dead sea salt, um, Himalayan salt, and then Epsom salt, which is not real salt. Mm -hmm. Um, It's magnesium. But, uh, you know, I use this blend and it has about 83 essential minerals in it that we're replenishing our bodies with when you soak in them. And, those are things that you can and should get from food as well um, or from supplements, but to be able to absorb them through your skin, you can get a much wider spectrum of them all at once in a really concentrated dose than you really can by just eating a lot of spinach salads or something. Um, And (laughs) I, I really fell in love with the idea of, you know, bath salts and just this idea of, 
yes, it's relaxing, it's restorative for you inside, but it's also doing something almost on this invisible plane where you're just going to feel so much more rejuvenated afterwards. And a lot of people chalk that up to just to the time relaxing, but it's just the replenishment of all of this essential good stuff in your body. And if you don't have a bathtub, do it as a foot soak. Your feet, the bottom, the feet uh-huh. of your feet are super absorbent. And you can absorb anything and everything through the sole of your foot. So fill up a little bowl and soak your feet in a great tub of hot, salty water, and you'll get the exact same benefits. Oh, wow. I, I want to give a shout out to your Wildwood Bug Spray because Peter works in the garden, in his part of the garden, um, particularly in the evenings. And I can go out there and no bugs will land on me. He takes one step and he's just covered in mosquitoes. So I got him that Wildwood Bug Spray because, of course, he, you know, he would never use DEET or anything like that. And he said it works great. And he not only sprays it on his arms, but he sprays it on his hat and his pants. And he said it's just great. So um, if you, if anybody, any of our listeners are looking for a good bug spray that isn't toxic, um, Wildwood Bug Spray. And, and tell me how you came up with that. So I'm just like your partner. Um, I have the blood type that mosquitoes just will fight for. (laughs) So I always used to joke, I am everybody else's bug repellent. If I go outside, you know, they'll all come to me and suck my blood and leave everybody else alone. (laughs) So um, I desperately needed something and I didn't, you know, our dermis, our skin is the largest organ on our body and it is very absorbent. So anything you put on your skin is going to be absorbed into your bloodstream. So the idea of DEET or anything really scary and chemical like that just scared the bananas out of me and I didn't want anything to do with it. So I said to myself, this is something essential. I have to make something that I feel good using that other people can use and feel really good using on themselves, their Mm -hmm. kids, whoever. And So that really propelled me into making this bug spray. And uh, it's actually not just effective at keeping these bugs away. It's really good for you also. So I have a giant copper still. And when I grow a bunch of, uh, you have to have a huge amount of plant material to distill hydrosols and essential oils. Oh, I've done hydrosols. They're delicate. They're fantastic. But boy, they are not easy. It's essential. Yeah, it's a flower water. And, you know, they have all of the same chemical components as an essential oil. It's just much, much, much more diluted, uh, but all the same benefits. And so I just of the herbal world. Yes, they're so underrated. And here's a little fun historical fact. Um, Hydrosols used to be what people wanted, and essential oils were the waste product of distilling hydrosols. So people would oh, have distills, and they would do it for the hydrosol, and they would just throw away the essential oil. That wasn't what they wanted. They wanted the hydrosol. And at some point, we flipped on our, you know, we flipped it upside down, and now, you know, there's this essential oil movement, which they're really great. Essential oils are powerhouses. Um, But then the hydrosols got left behind and a lot of people don't even know what they are anymore. But uh, going back to the bug spray, I distill a lot of lavender hydrosol and essential oil. And so I use that lavender hydrosol as a base for the bug spray. And it Uh is just fantastic for your skin. It helps reduce redness. Um, It's an analgesic, which means it is a mild pain reliever. It's antiseptic. It can help with blisters and it can reduce itching. If you've got bug bites, it'll take the itch and the burn and the swelling away. Um, So it's really great for your skin. And then it just keeps all these evil biting bugs away from you when you're outside. Let's just quickly, before we wrap up, talk about the differences between uh, how tinctures are made. Because I think 
Um, you know, when you walk into a health food store and you see this rack of, of essential oils and tinctures, um, they're not, not all tincture, tinctures are the same. Um, even if they all are alcohol-based, the process to make them and what they use as raw material is going to vary vastly. Can you talk a little bit about what makes yours different? Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, it's really hard to tell from a label what somebody is really doing with their tinctures. Um, and I would say in full transparency, my labels really don't even tell you a lot about what happens before it gets to the bottle. It just tells you what's in it when it's in the bottle. So tinctures generally are about a 50% alcohol extraction. And I use an organic cane spirit alcohol for mine. Um, it's really important just for my brand. You know, I try to, everything is organic, whether it's certified or not. I'm not certified organic in my garden, but I use organic practices. So it is a certified organic cane spirit and it's 50% alcohol by volume, which is a really good percentage to really extract what you want to from everything from roots and barks to leaves and flowers. You don't want to burn the leaves and flowers with the more tender herbs, but you also want something powerful enough to permeate through roots and get all the good stuff out. Um, and then I think the biggest difference in tinctures are whether you use fresh herbs or dried herbs. Ah. And that, you know, when you're making tinctures, you have the freedom to use fresh herbs where you don't really for a lot of other things. Um, obviously I can't put a jar of tea on the shelf using fresh herbs because right. if it sits on itself, it's going to mold, it's going to mildew, it's going to spoil. And you also can't really use fresh herbs when you're extracting something like a salve because the water extracted into the oil will make the oil turn rancid very quickly. But fresh herbs have so much um, power and volatility that a dried herb, lo it loses a little bit of it. Not much. Dried herbs still are really concentrated and great, but I love making fresh herbal tinctures. So some of my tinctures use strictly fresh herbs. Some of them use a combination of fresh and dried, and some of my tinctures use strictly dried herbs as well. Um, but, you know, when you're formulating these, there's there's a folk way to do it. And then there's the more like scientific way to do it. And the folk way is to fill your Mason jar up or whatever you're using to extract it and eyeball it, do it about, you know, one third full or half full, and then you top it off. And then the other way is to really weigh it out and do like a one to three or a two to three. And mm -hmm. I find myself falling somewhere in the middle yeah. I have very specific weights and formulas for everything. But over the years, as I've really honed and developed the, the products that I'm really proud of and put in a bottle, I've kind of made my own way to do it. Um, and it's what tastes good, has a really good balance of the botanicals that I'm extracting and uh, in a ratio that I know is really going to target specifically whatever I'm trying to target. I love making tinctures. It's, it's, you know, I went to art school before I became an herbalist. And so it's kind of like, <laughs> it's art for me just sitting down yes. and saying, this is the idea that I have. And these are all of the different plants that I can work with, with all of these different energetics or these different properties and how they work inside of our bodies. And what is the absolute most perfect combination that I can come up with that's going to achieve this and make people feel good. And it's, it's, very similar to the way I formulate for the horses and the dogs. Same basic. Once you've principle. been doing it, yeah, like once you've been doing it long enough, it comes from somewhere inside of you, and you don't need to look at a book or, you know, look at a, well, actually, a calculator to figure out how to do it. <laughs> it comes from outside of me. It comes through to me. I'm the receptacle of the information, and it comes through to oh, me I directly. Love that. I love that. That's a more, probably a more accurate way to describe it. I would say even for me. Yeah. It's, it's 
the plants are telling me yeah. a certain point, they tell me yeah. how they want to be paired and partnered. Yes. Yes. Oh, I could spend the next several hours just talking to you, Jen. This has been <laughs> this has been great and I, I will let a little bit of a cat out of the bag here. Jen and I are gonna collaborate on something for dogs and horses on the top in the topical region. So um that I'm really looking forward to that adventure with you and um looking forward to seeing what we can bring forth to the horses and dogs that will be of great benefit. Hello. Hello. Hetty. Hello, everyone. How's Hetty today? Uh-oh. Hello. I hate Wednesdays. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, they're the worst days. They're the worst days. What's the best day of the week, Hedwig? Um, not Wednesdays. Not Wednesday? No. Is Wednesdays there a, are the stupid day. The stupid day. Are there, is there a second worst day of the week? No, it's pretty much just Wednesdays that I hate the most. Oh, so. Mondays are not terrible. Okay. I don't, well, it's really just um, Wednesdays that I hate, yeah. Yeah, Wednesdays you hate. Why is it that you hate Wednesdays? Can you tell us, or is that something you feel uncomfortable discussing on a podcast? Oh, no, I can share. It's the day that my servant pretends to have a job. Oh, (laughs) I see. And leaves me for 800 hours. It's the least narcissistic day of the Uh, week. That's what it is. Now I get it. That makes sense now. Well, I I have an important question for the world's only podcasting Pomeranian. Yes. What is, since we started out with your least favorite something, we're going to go with your most favorite something. What is your most favorite type, style, flavor of doggy bed? And it doesn't have to be a doggy bed because I realize that you sleep on many things that are not called doggy bed. I do. Um, I, 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 you know, I have probably two things that I like best. One is our little donut beds that my sister and I have matching donut beds. So that's nice. And we both curl up on them next to each other. And we are quite fetching when we do it, too, in case you were wondering. And the other option would necessarily be our couch bed that we lie on together. Now, is your couch bed that you lie on together... Was it originally designed for human beings, or is this a specifically canine couch bed? No, no, it's properly for canine. Ah, is it raised up off the ground, or is it at floor level and easy to access for Pomeranians? It's perfectly accessible for a Pomeranian. I see. Now, do you, do does your entire sibling family share sleeping accommodations, or are there certain ones that only certain members of the family are allowed in? No, everyone goes everywhere. Very bohemian of you. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of us, you know. How many of you are there now? We've lost track. I feel like this might be getting a little judgy, but um, <laughs> there are five of us. Thank you for asking. All right. <laughs> well, there's. I know Hedwig, and I know your sibling, Mustard Seed. <laughs> who, else, who else is hanging about in the house nowadays? Well, there's the original one, Christabel. Mm-hmm. And then she's my proper sister. And then there's the egregious Peas Blossom, who's the sister of Mustard Seed. And then there's Cowboy, who's just a mistake. I see. <laughs> Do, am, I, am I right that Cowboy is the only male in the home? Well, then um, our other mother has a, a dog as well, whose male, his name is Cobweb. I see. Got a lot of, I've got a lot of really clever names in your little fur family. Well, thank you. We think that our names are very clever. We come in, you know, traditionally in pairs. Mm-hmm. And so we're named, but the one year there were three. So they're the fairies from a Midsummer Night's Dream, Peace Blossom, Mustard Seed, and Cobweb. 
I, of course, am named, as we have reviewed on this show before, for Hedwig and the Angry Inch. I am not named for the owl. I see. No, I cannot see you being named after an owl at all. No. No, no. not at all. My sister, no. Christabel, was named for a poem and also the protagonist of a novel called Possession, which everyone should read immediately. You have, you have quite the reading list in your little canine family. Well, it's important that we all practice literacy there all go. the time because the time. God knows it's a skill that can disappear if you don't use it. That's right. And speaking of skills that you could lose if you don't use them regularly, when it comes to curling up for a good nap, which member of your canine family is the best napper? Oh, my sister, Christabel, pause down. Pause down, Christabel. Now, is it, she can uh, nap is, for like months. So is it her ability to sleep for long periods of time, or is it the depth of her sleep that make her number one? Both, and also her ability to sleep, regardless of our situation. So I, for example, might become upset due to some serious, just untenable circumstances, but she's always cool and collected. Nice. Just goes to sleep, wakes up when the stupid servant shows back up. There we go. Never rude. Never, never rude. demanding. She's really a model, you know, that I'm never going to be anywhere near imitating because I don't want to be, but, you know, I could be. <laughs> you could be. Well, thank you very much for letting us get some insight into your canine family. And uh, you take care of yourself and have a good nap, Hedwig. I have to have my dinner first. Please note that it's 7.03 at night. Oh. God, you poor thing. No wonder you hate Wednesday. <laughs> I hate Wednesday so much. Well, tomorrow will be Thursday and it will be all better, Hedwig. And now we're at Critter Nutrition. And the topic today is charcoal is not just for barbecues. Back in the spring of this year, one of my dogs ate something that resulted in GI tract upset all over the house. No vomiting, no temperature. I started him on probiotics, which helped, but didn't end the cycle of liquid, foul-smelling poop. A friend suggested charcoal. I had taken charcoal myself some 40 years ago for a gastric upset. It worked well. So I bought some activated charcoal for my dog gave it to him mixed with a little food, but not part of his regular meal. The next morning, he had perfect poo. As I started digging around the rabbit hole on charcoal, I discovered that it is commonly used in the UK and Europe for horses as a supplement. Hmm, I said to myself. I wanted to educate myself on activated charcoal and understand its history of use. Around 1500 BC, Egyptian physicians began using charcoal to eliminate bad smells from wounds. This is the first recording on papyrus of medical application of charcoal. The ancient Egyptians also used charcoal and layers of sand to bury their mummies. By 400 BC, the Phoenicians were storing water in charred barrels on trading ships to purify and preserve the taste of the water. Hippocrates and later Pliny recorded using charcoal for epilepsy, anemia, and anthrax. Charcoal resurfaced after the Dark Ages in the 1700s and was used for various GI tract issues and wounds. In the 1800s, charcoal was recommended as an antidote for poisons, a cure for intestinal disorders, for use topically on sores and sloughing ulcers. Native Americans have used charcoal for hundreds of years for excess gas in the GI tract. Charcoal has been used in both Ayurvedic medicine and traditional Chinese medicine for several thousand years. It is used as a detoxifier to reduce gas and bloating to eliminate odor in the digestive system. By the end of the 20th century, activated charcoal was being used in hospitals, clinics, research departments, and poison control centers around the world. Charcoal is rated safe and effective by the FDA. It is listed in the U.S. Homeopathic Pharmacopoeia 
as having, quote, marked absorption power of gases, end quote. What is activated charcoal? Activated charcoal is created from wood or bamboo or coconut shells that are burned to a very high temperature, resulting in a more porous powder. Because of its porosity and higher surface area, the number of binding sites is increased. 50 grams of activated charcoal has the same surface area as seven football fields. Barbecue charcoal isn't as pure as activated charcoal. The lumps of barbecue charcoal still contain wood smoke and other chemicals in their pores. The activated charcoal process flushes out the pores. How does activated charcoal work? Activated charcoal works by binding and trapping toxins. The porous surface of activated charcoal has a negative electrical charge attracting positive charged toxins and gas to bind with the activated charcoal. This is known as adsorption, the process in which gas or solids adhere to a surface. Activated charcoal does not act as an absorbent, that is, molecules drawn into the material like a sponge. Does activated charcoal affect the probiotic bacteria in the gut? According to a study on horses published in the Journal of Equine Science in 2016, activated charcoal did not affect the microbial community of the hindgut or the volatile fatty acid levels or pH levels. Current research on charcoal benefits for the gut microbiome. Several studies from France, Japan, and the U.S. show that activated charcoal can be beneficial in protecting the gut from dysbiosis during antibiotic therapy. One of the common consequences of dysbiosis is the rise of C. difficile infections in the gut, the rise of antibiotic-resistant bacteria, allergies, and metabolic syndromes. It appears that activated charcoal can bind to certain pathogenic bacteria, such as E. coli and C. difficile, but does not bind well to the beneficial bifido and lactobacillus bacteria strains. This means that charcoal will not negatively affect the bacteria, the beneficial bacteria in the gut. Charcoal in the horse cultures of Europe. As I began my deeper exploration in charcoal, I discovered that activated charcoal use in horses is common in Europe, particularly in the UK. There are feeds with activated charcoal. There are a multitude of supplements with activated charcoal or providing activated charcoal on its own. In the UK, it is recommended for loose manure, diarrhea, bloating, gas, to support horses going through diet changes, stress, GI tract discomfort, and lush pasture grazing. These are the terms actually used on the various websites for activated charcoal for horses in the UK. In Germany, it is recommended to bind and eliminate pollutants and toxins, stabilize the metabolism, provide support while grazing, malanders, gas and bloating, promotes a calm digestive system. These are the terms actually used on the various websites for activated charcoal use in horses in Germany and Austria. Does activated charcoal interfere with nutrients? Activated charcoal does not adsorb iron and electrolytes due to the polarity of these substances. Does activated charcoal reduce absorption of medication? Activated charcoal can reduce the systemic absorption of acetaminophen, aspirin, metformin, pergolide, regimate, albuterol. Best to give medications two hours before or two hours after activated charcoal. Is activated charcoal a daily ulcer preventative? There isn't any research indicating activated charcoal helps to decrease or prevent gastric or hindgut ulcers. How about activated charcoal for laminitis? According to the laminitis site, activated charcoal does not seem to be effective in treating endocrine laminitis, which is what most of all the pasture-associated laminitis. When would I give activated charcoal to my horse? At the signs of diarrhea or unusually loose manure, excess gas, bloating, lush pasture grazing, stress from travel or competition, feed changes. Horses that are sensitive to mold can benefit from a gentle detox with activated charcoal to trap the mycotoxins. Horses sensitive to glyphosate can benefit from a gentle detox 
with activated charcoal. Some integrative health practitioners in the UK have been focusing on activated charcoal and Lyme disease. Activated charcoal is used for a short period of time following antibiotic therapy to bind and trap toxins released by the bacteria. The more I read about activated charcoal, the more I wanted to play with it. Let me just say that finding the right activated charcoal was a challenge in itself. Biostar ended up with seven different activated charcoal raw materials to experiment with. We ended up choosing an activated charcoal from coconut that had a specific granulation size with more surface area to bind to. Coming soon, Biostar's new mash with charcoal and its supporting partner, Hedro GI Paste. Look for these new important equine support formulas in October 2022. Real horses and real dogs are healthier, perform better, and recover more quickly on real food. That's why Biostar empowers horse and canine owners with 100% whole food nutrition, supplements, and feeding programs. Biostar products are made at their own certified non-GMO facility in Gordonsville, Virginia, using real fruit ingredients that are raw, freeze-dried, or dehydrated, never cooked, and are free from artificial flavors, colors, soy, corn, wheat, and molasses. The Biostar product line includes a wide range of whole food, horse and dog supplements, treats, and unique artisan poultices that embrace the ancient and traditional uses of clay and plants. Visit BiostarUS.com today and learn about whole foods and canine and equine nutrition so you can make the best decisions about the care and health of your horses and dogs. That's BiostarUS.com. Whole food nutrition the way nature intended. And now we're at Coffee Clutch, and the question is, if you could design your perfect farrier, what attributes would he or she have? And I'm going to start off with my perfect farrier would have a great sense of humor. <gasps> ah, interesting that you started there. You know, <laughs> yes. Why, why, why is it that a farrier needs to have a good sense of humor? Because I think the horses respond to somebody who's more lighthearted and jovial than somebody who's cranky and arrogant. Interesting. I think you're right in that people who have a, hey, a well-developed, generous sense of humor are more pleasant for us to be around. But I think you're yeah. right. I think horses innately find them comfortable to be around too. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. 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 Anymore? Or do, are we going back and forth? Are we going to, are we going to. We're going back and forth. Going back and forth. I'm going to put on there. I want a farrier who is curious. Ooh, yes. Because farriery is way more art than science, in my personal yeah. opinion. Yeah. And if you're curious, that will lead to someone who is constantly learning and asking questions. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Cool. Um. I would add to that my perfect farrier would be a good listener. Ah, interesting. If I have a question about angles, don't humiliate me. <laughs> don't brush me off. Don't be arrogant and think I don't know anything. Listen to what I have to say. Good listener. Exactly. Well, yes, and if you have a farrier who's a good listener the input from the human who sees that horse on a daily basis and probably works with the horses on a daily basis is important for the horse's ongoing hoof care because things change as time goes on. Work changes, footing exactly. changes, stuff yep. changes, right? Weather changes, yep. Interesting. I like that. Oh, now I have to come up with another one. I want a farrier who is... <laughs> My Glenn, the horse husband, is sitting in, in the cat on the couch right behind my monitor, and he were, <laughs> said, "Inexpensive." <laughs> yeah, there we go. I think um, I 
had one and it's it's gone because Glenn distracted me with inexpensive. <laughs> yeah, that that did kind of like put a damper on. Yeah, anyway, because there is no such th- thing as an inexpensive fairy. No, because it's an no. art form, and you're going to pay what you yep. get what you pay for, so to speak. I think I'm going to go out. I'm going to go way out on a limb. I want a farrier who understands good business practices. Oh wow! I hadn't thought of that. That's out of left field, but a farrier who is good at his or her craft is a great thing to have. But for the sake of that farrier's happiness and longevity and their ability to continue being good at what they do, they're going to have to have a certain amount of business sense, business education. Otherwise, yeah. they because they're when you're a farrier, you're running a business, right? Yeah. So I've seen a lot of farriers over the years because I've fired a lot of farriers yeah. that started out all full of enthusiasm and good at their job and were not able to develop a business model that made being good at their job sustainable. Mm-hmm. And one of two things happen. Either they uh, become no longer good at their craft, quali- quantity over quality. Or they go back to trade school and become an electrician. <laughs> One of two things happens. So a a reasonable handle on running a good business is important. My favorite and best farrier of all time became a minister. <laughs> so really? How interesting yeah. is that? Yeah. We used to have the most amazing, you know, I'm holding the horse and, he, we would have very interesting theological discussions. How interesting. Yeah, that, that was his passion. And hmm. he did, he quit farrier work and has his own church. Isn't that so, cool? Yeah. Yeah, cool. So um, what, what else is on your list? Um, a farrier who will actually w- ha- watch the horse walk. Ooh, see, that's a good one because you that few and far between that yep. will watch the horse before Mode. or after. Yes. Yep. One of our one of the farriers we had a very very long time ago, and he was our farrier for many a year until he retired. Actually, kept cards on each of his horses. Each horse had a little index card, and he'd jot notes down. The horse wore such and such a shoe. Hoof angles were at such and such before the trim, after the trim, and things like that. And I asked him about it one time, and he said, well, it's just silly of me to think that I could keep all of this in my head. I have Mm -hmm. several hundred horses that I do. Yeah. And it makes a a lot more sense for me to write this down so that when I come out and you say to me, you know, he's, he's, he's... not moving quite right, but he's not lame. And I can go, oh, well, look at this. The last time he was reset, he's his toes were this long and his angles were this to that. Obviously, we need to adjust something because he's getting too long in the toe between trims. Let's shorten the trim cycle and things like that. And I thought that was astute because it's really easy to think that you can just keep all of that stuff in your head. And I think it's it's smarter to write it down and have a little bit more accurate record keeping. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And and my last point is a farrier that is willing to try things. <gasps> yeah. Um, yeah. Because they're just sometimes feet or conditions that don't respond to the textbook or the way a farrier has always done it. And the farriers that are really locked into their way, um, I think they're missing because we're always discovering new things about the feet right. and different ways to shoe them and handle different challenges with the foot, especially mm-hmm. with laminitis mm-hmm. yeah, and, and navicular and stuff. So the, the one that is just sort of locked into, this is the way I've always done it. This is it. And it will fight you on it. You know, that's, that's the end. Right, right. And I, I will put an asterisk on that one and add a farrier who uh, 
is good at working with a veterinarian team. Because when, when push comes, comes oh, to shove, critical. sometimes you need yeah. to have the vet team there and a farrier who understands their point of view is willing to listen and ask questions so they understand what the, the vet's recommending. And then on the flip side, we're going to maybe next time do what attributes would you like in your vet, a veterinarian who can talk to your farrier because that, that has to be communication there. Yeah. Yeah, so we've just designed the perfect fare here. There we go. We're we're going to develop a, an app for that for your iPhone or your yeah, Android. There you go. You know, farrier des- yes. farrier design virtual. You can have a farrier avatar. There you go. Well, as usual, Tigger, it's been a blast. <laughs> go have dinner. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to our sponsor, Biostar US. You can find them online at biostarus.com. Get the Horse Radio Network phone app on iOS or Android by searching for Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free and easy to use. For details about today's show, go to healthycrittersradio.com, where you can find links, photos, and more information about our guests. As always, we love your feedback. Please follow us on Facebook under Healthy Critters Radio. Be sure to visit all the great shows on Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com.